Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by community pastor Ted Canaris as we continue the series, The World Turned Upside Down. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. It's always kind of a fun surprise when you run into somebody famous when you're not expecting it. Actually, I think it'd be fun today to start off with a little interactive moment here. How many of you have met someone famous? Go ahead and put it in the chat right now. Maybe one of those little raised hand emojis or something. Okay, and how about some names? Who is the most famous person that you've ever met? Go ahead and put the name in the chat right now so we can share some of those stories. I've run into a few relatively famous people throughout my life, but probably the strangest encounter that I've ever had with a famous person was in Senegal, West Africa. I was on a mission trip at the time, and I was washing my hands in this really, we'll call it, rough bathroom, when all of a sudden, another man came in and stands next to me, and it was Richard Branson. You know, Richard Branson, the billionaire businessman who recently flew his custom jet into space, I mean, I'd show you a picture of the two of us together, but it turns out trying to take a picture with someone in the bathroom is frowned upon in every culture. And sometimes people go crazy when they meet or even just see a famous or high-profile person. And it seems sort of like the more famous the person, the more interested we are, the bigger reaction, right? Well, something I love about Jesus is that he doesn't get caught up in any of that nonsense. He goes crazy for the people everyone else seems to barely even notice. Now, it might be a surprise to some of you, but everything about Jesus and his kingdom is upside down. It seems to be the opposite of what we expect. Jesus completely flipped the paradigm of what people thought following God meant. And we see example after example after example of Jesus saying things like, it's better to give than receive. If you wanna be first, You have to be last. You have to die in order to live. This must have been incredibly confusing for the people hearing this at the time, just like it can be confusing for us today. And why? Well, because we live in a culture and in a world that teaches us to love and to follow the expected things. Things like power and control. I mean, no one wants to be last. No one wants to let go of control. We want to determine our own destiny. Or things like wealth or possessions. A culture tells us that the measure of success is based on how big your house is or how loaded your bank account is or or who has the latest gadgets. Or how about status or influence? We've created these, these digital platforms that allow us to sort of curate a version of ourselves for the whole world to see. And let's be honest here. Is, is that really the most true or authentic version of ourselves? Or is it really just sort of the best attempt that we have to to look good or to make a specific impression? Or sometimes we idolize autonomy and independence. The world teaches us that all we need to move forward is to believe in ourselves and we have truly arrived when we no longer need anybody. And one of the unintended byproducts of, of holding all these things as values is that we end up living in a system that actually requires disparity. A value system of haves and have-nots. A value system that's punctuated by always needing more. A system where followers and likes and, and perfect family pictures are personal measures of status and fulfillment. And when we live a life that values these things, 
We become part of this, this social order where you're either in or you're out. The problem for us is this kind of thinking is so embedded in our society that it's easy to fall into its trap without even realizing it. I mean, how could we not? We're bombarded by these principles of this world every single day. We see it in marketing. We see it in the shows we watch. We see it more than ever through social media. And when we get caught up in the flurry of all of these things, it can become exhausting, crushing, and even discriminating. Now, I want to pause here and take a moment to reflect on this because I know that some of you are probably feeling this way today. You're feeling like you're stuck in someone else's exhaust. Maybe you see your own life and you think that, that you just don't fit in. Maybe you've been thinking about yourself as, as somehow less than. Maybe you've been thinking about giving up on God or, or on yourself. Or, or maybe, maybe you've been feeling like God has given up on you. And if that's you today, I'm really glad that you're here. Because let me tell you this. When Jesus came to this world, he said that his kingdom operates on an entirely different value system. He said that this kingdom sees people differently. And what is even more amazing is that they were not just empty words. Jesus lived it out every day of his ministry. And in doing so, he completely turned our world upside down. Author and pastor Rick Warren puts it this way. We do not serve this distant or detached God who spouts off encouraging cliches safely from the sideline. Instead, he enters into our suffering. There's an incredible story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus publicly announces and, and really sort of frames the beginning of his ministry. And I want you to try to picture this for a moment. Jesus was in the temple, the place where the religious people of the time would gather to pray and to read scripture. And he walks to the front, he grabs a scroll, he unrolls it, and he reads a passage from the prophet Isaiah that says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the people in the temple would have been very familiar with this passage. It was a well-known and often read text. It's an amazing prophecy of what will happen when the Messiah, God's anointed one, comes to rescue God's people. I mean, if Isaiah had a greatest hits album, this would be on it. But then Jesus continues by saying something shocking. He rolls up the scroll and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying that he is the Messiah. He's saying that he has come to proclaim good news to those who are considered the least in society. I mean, I can almost see the shock and the confusion in the faces of those who are hearing these words. They couldn't believe what Jesus was saying. And then after Jesus kind of has his sort of scroll drop moment in the temple, he goes out and then lives out those words every day of the rest of his life. Again, and again, and again, we see Jesus spending time with those who were considered least in his society. Jesus spent time with the unimpressive. In Matthew 19, we see people bringing children to Jesus so he could pray for them. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to us today, but in the story, you see the disciples actually rebuking these people. Now, why in the world would they do that? 
Well, back then, children were seen differently than they are now. They were viewed as sort of the lowest rung of the family system and society since they couldn't yet contribute in any way. They were seen more like a burden to their families until they could actually work or produce. In other words, there was nothing impressive about them and they had nothing to offer. So the way they thought about it at the time is that someone as unimpressive as a child shouldn't be able to command any time with somebody as important as Jesus. And yet Jesus welcomes in the children. He wants to spend time with them and he prays with them. Jesus also welcomed the messy. In Luke 7, we find Jesus eating in the home of a religious leader when, when all of a sudden a woman who was considered sinful because of her lifestyle comes barging into the room and she's overwhelmed with, with gratitude for the forgiveness and the love that Jesus has extended to her. And she's, she's weeping uncontrollably at Jesus' feet. And as a symbol of respect and worship, she actually starts washing Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. The religious leader is appalled by this scene. He doesn't understand how, how Jesus could allow something like that to happen. He thinks, how could this holy man let himself be defiled by the touch of this sinful woman? But Jesus doesn't see this woman like the others see her. When he looks at her, he doesn't just see her mess or her mistakes. No, he sees her with love. He sees her with compassion and even with honor. Jesus also drew near to the outsider. On another occasion in Mark 10, Jesus is passing by a road surrounded by this huge crowd. And, and on the sidelines, sitting alone, there was a blind beggar that could hear all of the commotion. And in the midst of everything going on, in the midst of the crowd, he yells from the side of the road, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people who heard this man, they either ignored him and kept going or they were trying to shut him up. How dare this outsider interrupt Jesus? And yet Jesus, who actually had important places to go and important things to do, Jesus, who was surrounded by thousands of people all vying for his attention, Jesus stops Jesus listens. He could have just continued on his journey, but instead he brings the outsider in and he heals him. He honors him. He loves him. Jesus loved the unimpressive. He loved the messy. He loved the outsider. Now, before we jump into only thinking about others who we might consider as maybe unimpressive or messy or as an outsider. I want us to start by thinking about what this means for each one of us as we investigate our own lives. Like we said earlier, we live in a world and a social order where we can feel this sort of intense pressure to fit in or to climb up. And as a result, we often try to hide the parts of ourselves that we think are unimpressive or messy or will make us feel like an outsider. And no matter what your socioeconomic status, your education, your background, this is a temptation we all share. It's part of the human condition. And because of that, we tend to try to disguise the parts of ourselves we see as less desirable with the stuff that this worldly kingdom does desire. 
We try to hide our unimpressiveness with with nice clothes or with a nice house or or with a nice car that we drive to our nice job. We surround ourselves with with the cool people that we think might help us with our self-image. We we hide behind perfect Instagram moments with our lives and messiness and our marriages and our relationships are all are all hidden in the background. Or maybe Maybe everything really is great for you, and instead, you're hiding this sort of nagging sense or or fear that you could lose it all in an instant. I mean, I know I struggle with this. There have been times in my life when I felt like I've been set aside or I've been left behind for one reason or another. I felt like, you know, I've had something to say or something to do, but no one seemed to care or to pay attention. Sometimes I've felt this way because of how I was treated by others, but the truth is, more often than not, it's my own hurt and my own self-perception that has made me feel that way. At times, I feel like the outsider. And when I feel this way, I'm tempted to try to hide it by projecting something else, anything else, confidence, indifference, or or something. The reality is that, that we've all felt like the least at some point in our lives. It's part of being a broken and fragmented person living in a broken and fragmented world. And that's why Christmas is such good news for us. Because when we feel like we're the least, when we feel like we're the lowest, when we feel that we're unlovable, Jesus who came to turn the world upside down 2,000 years ago also comes to us today, right now in this moment. And if there's one thing, just one thing that I could encourage you with as we approach this Christmas, it would be this. You are loved. And not just the sort of insta-worthy parts of you, Every part of you is loved. The parts of you that are messy and bring you embarrassment, your fears, your doubts, your failures, your struggling relationships, your seemingly unconquerable sin, the parts that wouldn't make it on your social media feed. Jesus loves every single part of you. Just let that sink in for a second. I mean, really let that sink in. Every part. It means that Jesus loves you in ways that no one else has or ever could. He is God and he wants to draw near to you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know his love for you. No matter what, you are loved. And if there's one thing I could challenge you with today, as we head towards Christmas, it would be this. As someone that has been loved so extravagantly by God, who can you share that love with? You've probably heard the phrase from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Well, for our purposes today, I think this phrase might be helpful. With great love comes great opportunity. Opportunity to share that love freely with others. Who in your world is treated like the least? Who in your life sees themselves as the least? How can you share the love of Jesus with them this Christmas? How can you take hold of the opportunities that you have to share the the infinite love that God has given you with the people around you? Get creative, have fun with it, make it big, make it small, just share the love. In his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party, author Tony Campolo shares a story that 
powerfully demonstrates this life-transforming, upside-down, out-of-this-world, kingdom, kingdom-of-God kind of love that we see in Jesus. Tony was out very late one night looking for a place to eat when he found what he called a little greasy spoon dive that was the only place still open. There was a large man behind the counter, and he asked Tony what he wanted, and he ordered a cup of coffee and a donut. The man poured him a cup of coffee, wiped his grimy hands on his smudged apron, and then grabbed the donut off the shelf behind him with his bare hand. Okay, gross, but Tony was so hungry, and so he just sat there munching on his donut, sipping on his coffee at 3.30 in the morning. When suddenly... The diner door swung open, and to his discomfort, eight or nine boisterous prostitutes come marching in. I mean, he felt completely out of place and was about to make his getaway when he overheard the woman beside him say that tomorrow was going to be her 39th birthday. Her friend, who was sitting next to her, responded in like a very harsh and sarcastic tone and said something like, so what do you want me to do? What do you want from me? You want a birthday party? You want me to get you a cake? You want me to sing you happy birthday? And the woman was just totally dejected. And when Tony heard that, when he saw that, his heart broke and he knew what he had to do. He waited until the women left and then he called over the man from behind the counter and he asked him, does that woman who is just sitting here next to me come in here every night? Yes, the man answered. That's Agnes. She comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Well, I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday, Tony told him. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? A little smirk started to show on the huge man's face. And he answered with sort of a measured delight. He said, that's great. I like it. That's a great idea. So Tony and the large man and his wife, who was in the back room doing all the cooking, planned a surprise birthday party for Agnes. The next day, Tony went to the diner at 2.30 in the morning. He decorated the place with streamers and a big sign that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. The large man and his wife baked a cake, and they invited a fairly large and relatively unruly crowd to the party. Then at 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open again, and in comes Agnes and her friends. Everybody was ready for her to come, and they all screamed, Happy Birthday! Tony said that in that moment, he had never seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so so shaken as Agnes was in that moment. She looked as though she was just about to fall over, but her friend grabbed her by the arm to steady her and led her to one of the stools along the counter. As she sat down in the diner, everybody sang happy birthday and Agnes' eyes welled up with tears. She was so overwhelmed that the man behind the counter actually had to blow out the candles for her. And when he grabbed a knife to cut the cake, Agnes finally moved and she grabbed his hand and asked if it would be all right if she could take the cake for a little bit, if they didn't cut it right there in that moment. And the man said to her, if you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. And as it turns out, she lived just a couple doors down. So she got off of her school stool, picked up the cake, carried it like it was the Holy Grail or something, and slowly walked towards the door. 
Everyone just, just stood there motionless as she left. And when the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. And really not knowing what else to do, Tony broke the now awkward silence by saying, what do you say we pray? And there he found himself leading a prayer meeting in a diner at 3.30 in the morning with people the world would label as unimpressive, messy outsiders standing what was now holy ground. When he finished praying, the man behind the counter sort of leaned over to Tony with a trace of hostility in his voice, and he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And Tony answered, well, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for people like Agnes at 3.30 in the morning. The man waited a moment and then almost sneered at him as he answered, no, you don't. No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join that church. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all like to join a church that throws birthday parties for people like Agnes? Well, that's the kind of church that Jesus came to create. That is the type of church that he would be a part of. And this is the type of church he wants us to become. Who in your world feels like the least? Maybe it's the often overlooked elderly woman that lives across the street. Perhaps it's the single mom who feels like she can never get ahead. Maybe it's the immigrant that is struggling to navigate our culture. It may even be somebody living in your home that feels the weight of being unimpressive, messy, or overlooked. How is God calling you? How is he calling us to share his love this Christmas? Christmas, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. And it's often seen as rightfully so. It's the most radical, upside-down love story the world has ever known. As fully God, Jesus had it all, everything you could possibly imagine, and so much more. He had infinite power and control, unending wealth and possessions, limitless status and influence, perfect autonomy and independence, everything you could ever want. And yet, he chose to give every bit of it up so that he could become like the least. First, a baby born into poverty in a manger. Later, a criminal crucified alone on a cross. Jesus gave up everything to love everyone. He became the least to love the least. And he continues to love the least today. That is what Christmas really is. The ultimate act of love for every one of us and every part of us. This Christmas, let the love of our Savior turn your world upside down.